African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. With me, Benjamin Mushatama. And if you're listening to us on our shortwave service into the continent, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Well, today we're looking at the challenge of water scarcity. How do we maximize alternative water resources? We're going to be going through the second regional meeting on tools for the sustainable management of transboundary aquifers which is taking place in Johannesburg, South Africa we'll be linking to the guests there who are part of the particular meeting what are we speaking about when we speak about transboundary groundwater that's what we're looking at today but we've got Anwisa standing by to give us our news In the headlines, Lesotho's Deputy Prime Minister Muteja Metsing speaks on an agreement between the ruling party's Deputy Leader Monyeni Muleleki and former Prime Minister Tom Tabane. The Burundi government condemns assassination attempt that targeted senior communication advisor William Nyamtu and more than 5,000 South African volunteers start a groundbreaking trial that will test the effectiveness of a vaccine to prevent HIV. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Lesotho's Deputy Prime Minister Muteja Metsing says the agreement between the ruling party's deputy leader Monyani Muleleki and former Prime Minister Tom Tabane will not oust the government unless it's tested in the National Assembly. Metsing was responding to pronouncements by the Muleleki faction of the Prime Minister's Democratic Congress Party and its allies that they were ready to take over government. Muleleki's faction says it has numbers, but Metsing says some of the MPs in that alliance may be disqualified when Parliament resumes for not attending cities sittings. Ndakwana Gatana reports from the capital, Maseru. Metsing says statements made by Moleleki cannot stand the test of the country's constitution. He says the Prime Minister can vacate office only by resigning or by a vote of no confidence in Parliament, and even then he can dissolve Parliament and call for fresh elections. Asked if Lesotho can afford elections right now, Metsing quotes, the most expensive peace is cheaper than the cheapest war. But he maintains right now Lesotho is not in crisis. Instead, democracy is thriving. And when the rules are applied, opposition MPs who have not been attending parliament, like the three opposition leaders in exile, might not have the seats they promised Muliliki's coalition. The Burundian government has condemned the assassination attempt that targeted senior communication advisor the Burundian president's office, William Nyamtu. Police say instructions were sent from Rwanda to plot us through a Burundian military officer to kill him. Bernard Bankunkira reports from Burundi's capital, Bujumbura. 
The assassination attempt against Wilinya Mitwe, the senior advisor in the president's office, occurred on Monday around 9.30 p.m. near his home in the Kajaga area outside the capital Bujumbura. According to Pian Kurikie, the police spokesman, Mr. Nyamitu escaped from an ambush against him as he was heading to his home. He was slightly injured, but one of his bodyguards was shot dead as another one was injured. Speaking to the press on Tuesday afternoon, Mr. Nkurikie, the police spokesman, said the attack against the senior advisor of President Kulunzisa's office was instructed from Kigali, Rwanda. Be nice to her. The Dutch Parliament has voted to ban face veils in public places. Government says the measure is essential for security, but opponents say it panders to anti-Muslim sentiment. The law bans veils and other items that hide the face, such as ski masks and helmets, in places where identifying the wearer is considered essential. A ban has long been a demand of Gertwalder's anti-Islam Freedom Party, which is leading polls ahead of elections in March. The Islamic State has claimed responsibility for a terror attack at Ohio State University in Columbus, which injured 11 people. A man plowed into pedestrians with his car on Monday and stabbed others with a butcher knife. IS claims he was a so-called soldier of the terror group. The attacker, Somali immigrant student, was shot dead by police. And finally, more than 5,000 South African volunteers will start a groundbreaking trial that will test the effectiveness of a vaccine to prevent HIV. This new preventative vaccine trial, HVTN702, is the only one of its kind in the world and is only being conducted in South Africa. The volunteers will be administered the in the first injections at different venues. The protocol co-chair for the HVTN70 study, Linda Gale Becker, speaks on the importance of this trial. The preventive HIV vaccine is really the holy grail of prevention for HIV. We know that we won't get complete control or even eradication of the HIV epidemic unless we have a vaccine that can protect people and make sure they don't become infected. And this one showed promise in Thailand. We're building on that promise and we're very optimistic that we're going to be able to push that vaccine efficacy up to a range where regulators will be very interested to license. And if we can license a vaccine, we really do begin to see a game changer in the HIV epidemic. Recapping the top stories, Lesotho's Deputy Prime Minister Mutweja Singh speaks on an agreement between the ruling party's Deputy Leader Monyani Muleleki and former Prime Minister Tom Tabane. The Burundi government condemns assassination attempt that targeted a senior communication advisor, William Lemaitre, and more than 5,000 South African volunteers start a groundbreaking trial that will test the effectiveness of a vaccine to prevent HIV. South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Well, you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining us on DSTV on Channel 802, if that's where you're listening us to. And if you're listening to us on uh, our online stream, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. We're also on shortwave on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, it seems like the theme this week is Southern Africa because uh, yesterday we were looking at... Um, struggle within Southern Africa. Today we're looking at how do you actually maintain and uh, really sustain uh, the transboundary aquifers or alternative uh, groundwater systems in the region. And there's a gathering that's taking place. Uh, it is the second regional meeting on tools for the sustainable management of transboundary aquifers that's taking place in Johannesburg. It is in collaboration with the International Water Management Institute also, you have the United Nations Education and Scientific and Cultural Organization, part of that particular meeting, and the International Hydrological Program, which is aiming to actually do a follow-up on what was held last year in July which is a meeting on tools for the sustainable management of transboundary aquifers. This meeting is the second in a row of regional meetings on transboundary aquifers in the Southern Africa region. addresses contemporary areas related to the management of transboundary aquifers in the region with particular focus on uh, uh, the various uh, aquifers that link the different countries such as Namibia, South Africa, Botswana and, uh, and, and South Africa if I didn't mention that, including Namibia. But uh, let me start and introduce my guests with you. I've got Dr. Uh, Karen Vilholth, uh, who is the sub-theme leader and principal researcher at groundwater and underground solutions at the International Water Management Institute. And I also have uh, Mr. Pira Ramueri, who is a senior program manager in the Directorate of the Infrastructure and Services of the SADC Secretariat. And I just want us to break out what does, what are we talking Talking about uh, Dr. Karen Vilholf when we're speaking about um, aquifers, because maybe our listeners don't understand that particular theme. Okay, thank you very much for that uh, introduction, which was very well presented. Um, I'm Karen Wilhelm from the International Water Management Institute, and uh, your question was related to what are aquifers. So basically aquifers are the underground water bodies that we have uh, that actually store a lot of water, uh, sometimes uh, up to 100 times more than you can find in rivers and lakes. So it's a very large resource and very precious resource that we can develop and we are developing for use in the region and uh, many people are develop, uh, depending on groundwater in the SADC region mm. and uh, in sub-Saharan Africa in general. Up to about 70% of the population use groundwater for domestic water use for industries, for livestock, uh, agriculture and so on. The, well, issue, mm. the issue at hand here sure. uh, in, in relation to this meeting is looking at those water bodies or aquifers as we call them that are uh, shared between countries because like you have rivers in the region that are running across borders some of these aquifers also transcend uh, uh, different countries and with water scarcity becoming more and more of an issue we have to also look at how to share these water bodies well, I want to also look at the importance of those water borders from a transboundary um, element and perspective, looking at it at the SADC region. Uh, Mr. Piraramuedi, how important is it for us to have a focus on these transboundary aquifers? Well, 
Well, thank you very much for having me on your radio and good morning to your listeners. Uh, indeed, transboundary aquifers are very important and critical, particularly because they are a shared resource, which entails the need for cooperation among those sharing this resource. As we have transboundary water courses that are on the surface, that we all know that for Southern Africa we have six, six, 15 major shared water courses. For aquifers, we have over 20 of such aquifers that are being shared between states. It is very important that to avoid conflict, cooperation is engendered in the use and protection of that resource. Because without that resource, without that protection and equitable use, countries would have problems in addressing their various needs, and this might actually lead to unnecessary conflict. Mm. Now, for Southern Africa, water is considered as a, as a resource that will engender cooperation as opposed to conflict. I know it's been said several times that the next wars are going to be on water. But in our own uh, region, we have worked very hard to try and avoid such an, an, an occurrence by having requisite instruments in place to make sure that water indeed becomes an area of cooperation as opposed to conflict. Now, shared aquifers, as uh, Karen has already intimated, contain quite a lot of water. And as our countries are facing various levels of variability and change, including the current mm. caused by the El Nino phenomenon, sure. we definitely need to be able to have concerted efforts and working together in managing these resources. The two aquifers that are subject of the discussion in this particular meeting, the Ramotwa and Stamford, are shared by four countries, three, in one, three of them sharing the Stamprit and two sharing the, the, uh, the, the, the Ramotu. And it's very critical that they work together to understand the extent, the depth, the volume, the availability of this resource so that they can protect what they need. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to that big point that you brought in there, uh, Mr. Ramuedi, the fact that we are facing this El Nino phenomenon which has caused a drought in Southern Africa. How do we maximize our groundwater? Do we have that capacity even within the space of those particular challenges with uh, the uh, you know unpredictable climate that we find ourselves in in Southern Africa? But you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin. Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're crossing live to the second regional meeting on tools for sustainable management of transboundary aquifers, which is alternative sources of water, groundwater mainly, which is under discussion. We'll continue this conversation after this quick break. The time right now is 11.15 Central African time. Change your game. your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in 
on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10:45 a.m. Central African time, and on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, this is African Dialogue. It comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And uh, today we're looking at uh, uh, really groundwater or transboundary aquifers. Uh, those are uh, groundwater or river basins that are really found within uh, the uh, you know boundaries of neighboring countries. How do we maximize uh, those water? sources and we're linking uh, to uh, the delegation that is taking uh, place in uh, uh, Johannesburg currently right now uh, you have various organizations meeting from the Groundwater Management Institute that is part of SADC you've got uh, uh, the United Nations Education Scientific and Cultural Organization meeting alongside International Hydrological uh, Program amongst other stakeholders to speak about maximizing uh, the this particular particular transboundary aquifers. You've already started with Dr. Karen Vilholth, who is the sub-theme lead and principal researcher in groundwater and uh, underground solutions department at the International Water Management Institute. We also have on the line from the SADC Secretariat, the Senior Program Office of the Water Sector in the Directorate of Infrastructure and Services, uh, giving us their views. But before we uh, go into Unpacking this subject in itself, 2007 is said to be a bountiful year for farmers, judging from the current weather patterns that Southern Africa has been experiencing. That is according to the head of the Economic and Agribusiness Intelligence at the Agricultural Business Chamber, Wandile Sihobo. 2016 has been a tough year for the Southern African nations as it has been gripped by a prevailing drought, spelling bad news for both farmers and consumers. However, judging from the rains in the last few months, uh, Agbiz is confident that the country's agricultural sector, specifically the maize production, will see much needed harvest in the coming year. Sithobo explains. Certainly, 2016 has been one of the difficult ones with the droughts and everything and the spillover that we saw on the farming as well as on the livestock and to some extent in the labor market, but not as severe as we saw on the ground and on the food prices and stuff. But as we look towards now 2017 to say what are we really seeing, we think that there's going to be a significant recovery from what we are currently experiencing now. And we base that from the climatic conditions that we're already observing. Already, if you look, for example, in the eastern side of South Africa, you'll notice that farmers have already planted throughout their maize and their soybeans, and we've received so far good rainfall. And as we look forward, we see forecasts of Nanina sitting at around about 75%, which basically means that we could see above normal rainfall and that we'll be able to replenish soil moisture. And even if that Nina forecast doesn't materialize or it gets revised down, the fact that the weather conditions will normalize, it means that we could get some good rainfall and we foresee some bit of normalization on both crops, livestock, as well as just generally on a food pricing side. But on the food prices, you could start to get relief towards the end of the year. And on the livestock, though, it's not going to be a 100% recovery. You'll need at least three years or so to see the full cycle. But suffice to say that the next season looks pretty much better and promising than what we are currently experiencing in 2016. 
That's Wandile Sihlobo, Head of Economic and Agribusiness Intelligence at the Agricultural Business Sector uh, Chamber, rather, on the line, talking there to Tutongobeni. And that is linked to what uh, uh, Mr. Pira Ramwedi was saying earlier on, the dynamics of what the El Nino uh, phenomenon has done in terms of the drought that we've seen in this past year uh, in the region. We're now talking, talking about how we can actually look at other alternative resources of water and one of those is groundwater and the discussion is where it's happening right now in Johannesburg looking at the management of transboundary aquifers which is uh, uh, rocks that uh, contain or transmit groundwater. I've got on the line Dr. Karen and Mr. Peter Ramwedi. I know that there is a kind of a challenge, uh, Dr. Karen Vilholth, in the estimation of the possibilities of groundwater, especially with the recent El Nino dynamic of the uh, drought that we've seen recently. Is it difficult right now to tell the potential of groundwater that we have in the region, especially in these uh, boundaries? Well, uh, groundwater is, uh, is invisible, so by nature it's more difficult to assess uh, sure. compared to surface water. That's kind of obvious. Um, but nevertheless, this is a very important point that uh, Pira also pointed to, that we need to uh, assess the, water re- the groundwater resources in order to uh, optimize its, u- its use uh, under these uh, particular conditions that we have now. Um, particularly under drought, uh, groundwater will be very critical uh, as oftentimes uh, the dam levels go low, rivers run dry and so on, and groundwater actually becomes the only uh, reliable uh, water re- fresh water resource. And that's where uh, this transboundary aquifers also come in. So they have a role to play to, to bridge the, the drought periods and the, the dry periods. Um, and that's what we're looking at also in this project. How can that be done through the uh, collection of data, through the better management, and also through the, mm-hmm. the proper like uh, replenishment of these aquifers through uh, artificial means. So the idea here is to like store uh, more rainwater underground uh, and capture that water to then harvest it later mm-hmm. during the, the the dry periods, and then in, in, increasing the water security in the region. Those are some of the options that we are looking into. So those are technical issues, but we also need to look very much into the management of the resource, ensuring that it's protected, it doesn't get polluted, or it doesn't get overexploited. I mentioned that it's a great, it's a big resource, mm. but nevertheless, it's not um, unexhaustible. Uh, it will uh, have. Uh, quite dire consequences if we overexploit the resource in terms of um, impact on ecosystems and uh, terrestrial systems and so on. So it is not an uh, like unlimited resource. That's very important to keep in mind. Mm. Well, what's also interesting is the fact that the management as well within these transboundary aquifers can be sometimes complex, especially when it comes to red tape issues. I'm sure those are the kind of issues that you will be dealing with, uh, Mr. Pera Ramoid. Well, indeed. In fact, uh, as opposed to service water resources, groundwater in terms of governance has not very well been developed. Mm-hmm. It says that for service water, you now have what you call water cost commissions or river-based organizations, mm. but not similar structures and existence for groundwater. It is also true, obviously, that within the Water Cost Commission, you do have some components of groundwater being taken care of, 
such that in some of them would have um, groundwater committees or subcommittees specifically against groundwater. Now, what we really need to be looking at in terms of the management and making sure that the, the, the resource is used in a way that is equitable and reasonable and that nobody would feel worse off in terms of the utilization is to strengthen this governance structure, is to put in place requisite instruments that will govern the utilization of the resource while cooperating on the protection, as we have always been saying. Mm, mm. It's very important that we have the requisite uh, structures that are in place. SADAC has done quite a bit of work in terms of groundwater management, including developing a groundwater map for the whole region, mm. indicate where some of these shared aquifers are and how they can therefore be utilized in terms of the depth of water and all those kind of things. Mm. We've also developed strategies for utilization of groundwater, particularly in those regions of in those parts of the region that are, are drought prone. Like we had a project that was focusing on the Limpopo between 2008 and, and, and 2010 to 11, where we were developing various strategies, including issues dealing with uh, groundwater dependent ecosystems, which is the various uh, livelihoods that are dependent on groundwater that needs to be addressed through mm. various methods of development of groundwater. Mm. And also, the, let's look back at these particular two uh, basins that you've been highlighting, uh, Mr. Ramwedi, and their significance. I know that the meeting that is convened right now is looking at the framework of uh, uh, the the shared aquifers, which is looking at uh, the governance of groundwater resources in the transboundary aquifers of the Stam Reap uh, Transboundary Aquifer System Project. I know the other one as well is what's happening at the Ramwedi aquifer project. Uh, Dr. Wilholth, can you highlight the significance of those uh, two basins? I know most of us don't know what's happening when it comes to groundwater, but the fact that there's projects happening that link countries together is also one that's very interesting. Okay, thank you for that question. So the two aquifers that you just mentioned uh, have been uh, identified as one of the hotspot um, aquifers in the region, and that has been sort of our background for focusing on them in these two projects. One project is led by IMI, which is related to the Ramotswa aquifer, and that one is shared between South Africa and Botswana. And the other one, which is a Stanford, is uh, led by UNESCO, IHP, and that is shared by South Africa, Botswana, and Namibia. And what is peculiar about these aquifers is that uh, they are heavily dependent on uh, in the region. Um, one, one is very big and one is very small, but nevertheless, uh, they are both very important. And uh, the reason for also choosing a small aquifer, you'd say, well, why, why would we bother with a small aquifer? The reason being that uh, it is located uh, close to Gaborone, which is the capital of Botswana, and a very urbanized area which has uh, high water demands and it is in, in, in very rapid uh, development, economic development. And uh, with the drought, this area has been under excessive uh, water scarcity. And so the issue here is how can this aquifer actually play a role in terms of supporting water security and bringing groundwater into the equation in terms of water supply um, and um, and also in terms of actually storage of water. And I think that's maybe a missed point. So instead of using the dams for storage of water, mm-hmm. we should also think of bringing the water underground where it would be protected from uh, 
from evaporation and so the, the, the stocks will last longer. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of that particular significance, how do you actually ensure that uh, these various countries work together? Because you're seeing here a shared water resource between Botswana, Namibia, uh, South Africa, and uh, uh, it's very much complex when you have to deal with the red tape, which comes with governance and management, especially when it comes to water systems, uh, uh, Mr. Peral Ramoid. Yes, it is, it is really true that we have to make sure that this happens. And that's why, as I was saying, this uh, two aquifers fall within two specific basins. Obviously, with groundwater uh, bodies, they would sometimes let's straddle two river basins, organizations. But fortunately, in this particular case of, for instance, the Stamplet, it is falling most, almost falling within the Orange Central River Basin Commission, which, because they already have a structure within the basin that specifically focuses on groundwater, the governance and management of the resource in the context of the, the basin is therefore well taken care of. But we still need to move forward with the actual, once we have delineated the aquifers, the actual need for the three countries in the water course to be able to sit together and govern, or rather manage the resource on their, on their own. Obviously, you know that the, the orange thing could be is also shared by Lesotho. Mm. But obviously, we have to make sure that for the aquifer, because it's shared between the three countries, while there are, there are lessons that can be shared, where in the country that is in the region can also share on what they would do with the aquifers that would be subsisting within their own territories. So it's very important that uh, government governance issues are better strengthened and the management of the resources is therefore determined. And also, what makes things also very interesting for me, because I find this whole thing very... um, fascinating is the fact that sometimes there's complications when it comes to the legislation around water because countries don't have a uniform legislation when it comes to water some people or some countries go towards privatizing their water sources and some countries it's a national asset doesn't that complicate the issue dr Wolf? Yes, it, it can complicate the issues, and um, it's actually part of what we are looking at uh, in these two projects, is trying to harmonize um, the, the way that the, these resources are managed across uh, the two or the three countries involved. And, um, and this is actually part of what we're doing at this uh, meeting at, uh, that we are at uh, presently. So we have here uh, stakeholders from the three countries. We actually have partners from all the 15 um, SADC member states um, because it's a a joint effort also in terms of building the capacity in these uh, nations around how to actually collaborate and harmonize harmonize their systems for for groundwater management. Um, And we have capacity from... um, from from Northern Europe as well to bring in uh, expertise on legal aspects and so on, which become very important as you go forward. And also like with the river basins, uh, we want to come up with uh, treaties or agreements or some kind of uh, harmonization uh, around the the collaboration of these aquifers. Your thoughts on on, on that uh, legislation perspective, uh, Mr. Ramweri? 
Well, in the sense of the legislation, the SADAC protocol on general causes already does reflect or rather uh, include groundwater in the, in the terms of its definition of shared water causes. And therefore, in that respect, the provisions that are in the protocol would definitely also allow, although without going into greater detail for groundwater, uh, protection from pollution and other things, that will always affect groundwater if it can be linked with the surface water resources. So mm-hmm. as far as the legislation is concerned, what we have currently is the draft articles that were published by UN General Assembly in 2008 and which are being worked into becoming guiding tools that we can use. Some of these instruments have been the subject of discussions and mm-hmm. during the training to ensure that countries, when they think and work around finding legislation that will be commensurate with the management of shared aquifers, they would use these instruments as guidance because ideally the principles that are contained in this would definitely apply even for groundwater. Mm. Obviously the requirement for information data and that would be required to regulate would probably not be the same as you regulate surface water. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll continue this uh, conversation. We're linking uh, to the Birchwood Hotel and uh, we oh, I'm not sure today if they're at the Birchwood Hotel or the OR Tambo Conference Center, but this is where there is a meeting taking place under uh, the supervision of uh, the United Nations Education, Scientific and Cultural Organization's partnership with the Interna- International Hydrological Program alongside uh, uh, the International Water Management Institute, which is leading uh, this particular workshop on uh, the sustainable management of transboundary aquifers, taking things forward from when it started last year. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with more questions. And I'm also interested in also how do we actually uh, look at the comp- complete picture. I know there's been also conversations around rerouting water from the Zambezi flood areas in Mozambique. Uh, should we be looking at water sources in a more collective, comprehensive perspective? But let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Namibia International Beach and Cultural Festival. Landstrand Beach, Walfers Bay, Namibia, 23rd, 24th, 25th of December. Music Festival with international and local artists. Four-night accommodation packages and activities available at CompuTicket Travel. Main event tickets available at CompuTicket. 150 Namibian dollars, 150 rands, and 130 pula. Tickets are available at ShopRite and Checkers. Get yours today. VIP is 500 Namibian dollars, 500 rands. Or 380 Pula. Hashtag Xmas in Namibia. Hashtag Harambe. Cultures of Southern Africa route is powered by Channel Africa. www.culturalfestival.net. Download the app today. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue, and I'm Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. If you listen to us there, and uh, if you listen to us on shortwave, we're still on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's our service into the continent on DSTV. We're on Channel 802. I'm not alone on the program. I've got great guests on the line. I've got Dr. Karen Vilholf, who is uh, joining us, representing 
representing the International Water Management Institute. And Dr. Pera Ramwed joins us from the SEDEC Secretariat, from uh, the uh, uh, Directorate of Infrastructure and Services dealing with the water sector. That's his speciality there. They're joining us uh, from the Birchwood Hotel. And, it's you know, sometimes it's great to have these workshops and conferences and these big projects that are taking place. But it's great to open those doors and bring them closer to the public. So it's great to be actually uh, linking through to them to actually uh, speak about these particular projects that they are dealing with when it comes to groundwater or transboundary aquifers. But, you know, I'm interested in the idea of the fact that we've isolated... uh, you know, different sources of water. I don't know if it's the inheritance of colonization as a whole, Mr. Ramuedi, the fact that we haven't really spoken of the looking at water sources in a comprehensive manner and the management of it in a comprehensive manner, like you were highlighting earlier when we started, the fact that the management of aquifers hasn't been really up to date so far. How much work do we need to do to actually look at water sources in a more collective manner when we speak about desalination, even when we speak about uh, alternative water resources or getting water from our dams? Is there more work to be done in the region to make sure that we look at water comprehensively? I'm sure this uh, recent drought has shown us that. Well, in fact, uh, Benjamin, it's, it's been uh, the focus of the SADAC water sector program from the beginning to coordinate and facilitate comprehensive approach to water resources management in the region. In this respect, that's why most of our efforts were directed towards making sure that the various basins that subsist within the region do have management arrangements, do have those uh, tools that they can use to make sure that water is is managed as a comprehensive resource Mm. by all countries involved. As as it is now, we are having a regional water program called the Strategic strategic Water Resources Management Plan. This plan has been uh, developed to make sure that we look at water and all its elements comprehensively in terms of water supply implementation, in terms of water resource management itself, in terms of water infrastructure development. And I can tell you now that the region has only about 14% of its available resources developed or harnessed. Mm-hmm. That means we still have a lot of uh, work to do in terms of infrastructure to harness the remaining available water resources to make it available for our people. This then will entail that our infrastructure development program should look at making sure that we build requisite infrastructure to get this water available when needed, where needed, by the various new sectors that are required. And therefore, because we are working at that level of the region, it is in to ensure that no one country mm. be uh, operating unilaterally on its own, but they could cooperate, particularly because of the characteristics of the shared nature of water resources in this region. So no one country is enough to be developing the water resources on its own. It requires that while there are national requirements, the sources of these waters are normally coming from shared water courses. So the importance of looking at the whole spectrum of the water cycle, from groundwater to surface water to rainfall and all that, is what we are doing. You may be aware that SADAC has within its structure also the department that looks at 
rainfall and rainfall patterns and climate and climate issues. And we are working together as the various sectors of Insala to make sure that these things are looked at in a comprehensive approach. Mm. Dr. Karen Wilhoff, is that program actually t- is taking place fast enough? Are we doing enough or should we need to actually uh, fast track things even more? Well, it's, it's probably a good question and I would like to see um, the issues of, of uh, water resources management and in particular the groundwater aspects uh, being highlighted even more. Uh, but I think with the kind of initiatives that we have on board now, we are doing a, a great stride. And I think we are building communities of practice now around how to deal with uh, transboundary aquifers in the region, which is very, very critical. And I think we have very strong uh, uh, institutions and partners and governments involved in this whole process, uh, actually across uh, the static region. So we're not only talking about the two or three countries that we uh, are dealing with within these two aquifers, but we're actually looking at the whole static region. So I think we are taking big strides in, in, in improving the context um, of, of uh, groundwater management. And I very much agree with what you mentioned, that we cannot isolate also the issues related to groundwater. So we have to look at the conjunctive use and the conjunctive management of these resources. Mm. It becomes more and more critical as, as uh, the water resources become uh, scarce. Mm. I think also it's very important to say that uh, with these communities of practice, we are, the, we are building the trust between the nations in terms of collaborating, um, and that is very critical for taking anything uh, forward in terms of cooperation and sharing and agreeing on how to address the, the monitoring and management and so on. And that's exactly what we're doing in these kind of meetings by bringing people together around the table to discuss the issues, to understand the issues, and to look at how to go forward. That's uh, very critical in terms of uh, building trust and, and taking the things forward. Mm. Well, we need to wrap it up. We've got four minutes left. And, uh, you know, my big issue also is the fact that uh, water is uh, sometimes uh, becoming uh, a monetized commodity where we know that it's actually a human right. It's supposed to be accessible to all peoples of a nation or a region, especially a country or a region rather that is developing such as Southern Africa. This is where we need to ensure that water is is accessible. How do we ensure that groundwater is not a privatized commodity, but also becomes accessible to the peoples of the region? I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Vilhoth. Yeah, I think this is a very critical issue, especially because groundwater is a um, is what we call a diffuse resource, so it's actually accessible in many regions uh, around uh, uh, across the continent. So with fairly a small economic means and a fairly simple technology, you can access uh, groundwater through boreholes and, and, and bore, uh, drilled wells and so on. Um, so in that sense, it's a, you can call it a democratic uh, resource because it's accessible to most people. But of course, with, uh, with more uh, demand on water and so on, there are uh, issues coming up and uh, some, some kind of skewness in the access to the water because of uh, stronger influences and stronger economic interests and so on. And so I think the point that you raise is, is very um, relevant in the region and something that uh, needs to come into the, the management aspects as well 
ensuring that the small um, small users, uh, what we call small holders, uh, uh, farmers that are using small amounts of groundwater mm-hmm. in rural areas and so on, are secured their access to groundwater mm-hmm. as we go forward. Mm. Mr. Pereramuedi, your final sentiments? We've got a minute and a half left. Yeah, I think in, in respect of ensuring that water or access to water, particular groundwater, is afforded to even the as a basic human requirement. Uh, for the region, it is very critical that we have been working very hard to create the necessary enabling environment, both in terms of policy and legislation, to make sure that the protections that are required for the uh, poor users of the water, rather the, 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 the poor communities or the community members of our society, is assured. And it is through the implementation, rather than just having these documents in existence, but the level of implementation or execution of those instruments that will afford us the needed results to make sure that water is available for our various uses to everybody in the region. The principles of universal access to water and uh, other services in the region is an accepted one. And while the human-based drive to water is something that was adopted at the, at the global level mm. through the UN, we also are supporting some of this. As you can see, some of our countries have already enacted that as part of the legislation, and therefore the region is moving towards a process where universal access is the way to go. Well, thank you both uh, for giving us your time during this conversation. I'm sure that uh, we'll continue these conversations moving forward. It's great to be speaking to Dr. Karen Vilhoth once again on our program, who is the sub-theme leader and principal researcher of groundwater and underground solutions at the International Water Management Institute. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you as well to Dr. Um, rather Mr. Pira Ramuedi, who is the senior program officer in the water sector department of the Directorate of Infrastructure and services that's part of the SEDEC Secretariat. Thank you both for giving us your time. You're most welcome. Thank you very much. Fantastic. That takes us to 11.45 Central African time. Let's quickly move on. I see Wisani is just nearby. He's going to give us our business news. Good morning. Thanks, uh, Benjamin. Uh, Nigeria hopes to conclude uh, the sale of a billion U.S. dollar euro bond by end of the first quarter of 2017. The country is in its deepest recession in 25 years and needs to find money to make up for shortfall in its budget. Its revenue from oil have plunged due to low international prices and militant attacks in its crude producing heartland, the Niger Delta, and uh, that has cut its output. Ghana's Union of Commerce and Finance Workers is calling for the central bank and other regulatory bodies to speed up investigations into the issues it has raised against the managing director and board chairperson of ARB Apex Bank. The union has alleged that uh, the managing director is engaging in some rather unprofessional activities with the support of the board of uh, board chairperson. The union has for the next two days directed its uh, members in all the bank's branches across the country to wear red armbands and protests against the development. South African Power Utility ESCOM has again threatened to cut off power to municipalities due to million of US dollars owed to it 
in unpaid debt for bulk of the electricity supply. Many of the municipalities are in the Free State and Eastern Cape provinces, respectively. ESCOM's Group Executive Customer Services, Ayanda Noa. In fact, in about three months, it escalated by about $3 billion just in three months. So the incoming uh, councillors, I believe, have a huge task ahead of them uh, from that perspective. But I do also want to say that we are here to support you in whichever way that we can, but it is important that you pay us. And I'm going to stand here and plead with you and beg you to please honour the payment arrangements. OPEC has begun debating a deal to curtail oil production and prop up the price of crude. Ministers from the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries started an informal meeting in Austria and Vienna where they are due to begin a, a formal gathering at OPEC headquarters. On Tuesday, Iran wrote to OPEC saying it wanted Saudi Arabia to cut production by as much as a million barrels per day. And South Africa surrenders weekend ahead of a trade data due later in the day. Meanwhile, the country's Impala Platinum Holdings, Implets and Zemplats Board have approached the development of the 264 million US dollar Mupani mine, which will increase the Zimbabwe unit's mineral reserves. And in other economics news, gold is on track for its biggest monthly decline since June 2013, largely pressurized by an imminent US interest rate hike by the Federal Reserve in December on expectations of improving economic growth. Spot gold was nearly unchanged on Wednesday morning. And uh, a general look at your markets now, the dollar has uh, strengthened at 13.84 against the South African rand after what was expected to be the recall of South African President Jacob Zuma, which never happened. And the ANC uh, sticking to its guns, saying they still want President Zuma to lead uh, the, uh, the country in parliament and uh, the Botswana Pula now at 10.58 uh, Zambian Kwacha 9.85 commodities now gold $1,980 platinum $919 per fine ounce brand crude oil $46.85 per barrel that's how it's looking right now I'll be back in an hour's time with another update and the, at the back of this is uh, Fiki Lelingwati who is uh, standing by with your sports update First up in our sports update this hour, it's Cricket News. Protea's head coach, Russell Domingo, believes that his charges are well on the right track following the 2-1 Test Series triumph over Australia earlier this month down under. Domingo and his side arrived in South Africa on Tuesday, brimming, brimming with confidence despite losing the third and the final test in Adelaide. Domingo believes that it is more pleasing to see the great ambience in and amongst the team at the moment with a number of players also returning to form ahead of the summer. I suppose it's a combination of things. We've got a few players back. Great to have Van and Philander back. He missed a lot of our tests against India. Then I know for 
two tests against New Zealand, we had Dale Stain back. They make a massive difference. There's a, there's a unity amongst the group at the moment and a realisation about how important playing for your country is and prioritising that. I think that's the most important thing. We've also got a few players back in form. The conference levels have raised off the Indian tour. A lot of players took a knock in terms of their confidence and slowly that belief's coming back. But look, we're still not, not where we need to be and we're not where we feel we can be yet. So there's still a lot of improvement to do, but we're going in the right direction. There's no doubt about that. The former Warriors coach Domingo also reiterated that nothing changes with the return of A.B. Villas as he will resume the captaincy role from Favre Duplessis. He commended Duplessis for his budding leadership skills at the test level. Favre's matured greatly as a leader. He's been taking the T20 side for a couple of years now. He's an outstanding leader. He's an outstanding captain. Fortunately, he's finding some good form as well, which helps his leadership as well. So he's leading from the front in terms of performances as well. So look, he's done an outstanding job. The bottom line is, Abreville is the current test captain. The status quo, in my opinion, is set to remain. And I'm, I'm very pleased that AB's only had two test matches with the side. One was a, a loss to England and the other one was a win against England. So he needs to have a full crack of the job and I will be providing my utmost support to Abreville when he's fit and ready to play again as the leader of this team. In football news, some of the biggest names in world soccer have sent messages of condolences to the Brazilian club, the Campeonense, which lost almost all its players in an air crash in Colombia. Brazil football legend Pelé posted on social media that Brazilian football was in mourning. Current and past Argentinian stars Lionel Messi and Diego Maradona also expressed sympathy. More than 70 people were killed after the plane crashed in a mountainous area on the approach on its approach rather to the city of Medellin. Colombian president Juan Manuel Santos offered these words of support to those affected. Quiero reiterar a nombre de los colombianos I want to reiterate, in the name of all Colombians, our expressions of support to the families, officials, fans of the Chapacoense team, to the families of the journalists, to the families of the crew, and to Brazilian football, all of whom are affected by this tragedy that has put the entire region into mourning. Tens of thousands of people in Chapoque in southern Brazil have been honoring the victims of the plane crash in Colombia, which killed most of the players and the coach of the city's football team. Supporters of the club, Chapoquens, walked from the town center to the stadium where they played, sang and applauded the team. Only six of the 77 people on board survived the crash near the Colombian city of Medellin. FIFA president Gianni Infantino and the sport's most famous player, Pelé, says football is in mourning. This fan spoke about his sense of loss. We were almost there. It was the best moment of our lives. All the Brazilian teams were supporting us. We were the most loved team in Brazil today. And in basketball news, South Africa will be hosting the fourth under-23 African World Championship qualifier in Johannesburg, starting from the 7th to the 12th of December. The championship will have South Africa, Zimbabwe, Algeria and Nigeria competing as well as joined by local teams coming from Northwest Province and the Eastern Cape Province. The General Secretary of Wheelchair Basketball, Charles Saunders, says the championship will have a total of 10 games that will be hosted at the Mandeville Indoor Stadium. South African Cecil Amawili's young under-23 team that are representative of the future of South Africa are up against Nigeria and Zimbabwe 
in what will be a qualifying tournament for the World Championship that will take place in Canada, Toronto next year. And, of course, the boys are hard at practice at the moment. They're in camp. And we feel very confident that, uh, um, you know, holding the title for for four consecutive World Qualifier tournaments in Africa, that we are going to defend this title and we are going to be representing South Africa again in Canada and Toronto. That's your sport news this hour. Well, that's how we wrap up our program today. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, uh, remember, if you want to interact with us, uh, do that on uh, our Twitter handle. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. You can also Facebook us on our Facebook page. is simply titled Channel Africa. Well, we're going to end up our program today with the song titled This Life, and uh, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama. Until next time, God bless. You can run for miles and miles. You can fly if you just remember now. To hit the ground as often as you do You can shout at the top of your lungs You can say, I am here as well Until everyone that you ever meet Starts listening This life